I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So what what the heck? We don't get get the Ben uh, Affleck lookalike here? No, no. He's uh, he's hard to pin down, honestly, that guy. Um, Well, he's so busy with all his movie stuff. uh, Must be. (laughs) <laughs> no, it's uh, preseason. He's captain of the Montreal Canadiens at the moment. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Where did that come from? Yeah, that's... like at, at the at, he kind of looks like Affleck, but he might actually be Shea Weber. Oh, really? Yeah, he's got the same face. He's that's a mouth funny. Like him too. All right, let's get started. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode three of the Beyond the Blade Atlantic Division miniseries. The big three this week, we have our Detroit Red Wings episode. Joining us is Brad Crisco and Ryan Hanna from the Winged Wheel podcast. Gentlemen, how are we doing this evening? Oh, we are good. How's it going? Can't complain. Can't complain. Sabres had a rough first period tonight against Columbus, but uh, hopefully your boys are doing better against Chicago. Uh, up one nothing, so we're projected to be eighty-two and zero this year. I think. Obviously, yeah. Hashtag analytics. <laughs> <laughs> so, if if we're looking at it in the scope of the rest of the Atlantic Division, aside from adding, you know, Steve Eiserman as the GM, which is obviously maybe the biggest ad across the league, besides perhaps Quinville behind the bench in Florida, the Red Wings didn't do a whole lot from a player personnel standpoint. They brought Valtteri Filpula back uh, after a six-year, I don't know, exodus, hiatus from the team. Uh, he spent time with, I, I think, three other squads in that time frame. They did sign Patrick Nemeth, who is top four, top six defenseman. And, you know, they signed Calvin Picard to a two-year deal probably to play in uh, Grand Rapids. The biggest moves, I feel, for the Detroit Red Wings were kind of the carryover transactions from last season's trade deadline. They sent Nick, Jen- Nick Jensen, who is a favorite of Chad DiDominicis, our, our host of the Beyond the Blade regular podcast, uh, and a fifth-round pick to Washington in exchange for Madison Bowie and a second. And they got another second and a third from San Jose for Gus Nyquist. So all of that kind of in a nutshell, 
Do you wish the Red Wings would have done more this summer? Are you kind of content where they stand in the rebuild? What are your thoughts? What are your, where are you at roster-wise heading into this season? Well, first and foremost, I think the biggest mistake that the Red Wings made was not winning the draft lottery. I think that was a poor move <laughs> on their part. Uh, no, honestly, um, for people who aren't familiar with the Red Wings, their cap situation isn't a pretty one. Um, there are more than a few kind of albatross contracts that have uh, kind of tied Steve Eisman's hands as he's uh, coming to this team. And if anybody watched his opening up, he said pretty clearly and candidly, this is going to take a lot of time. And he wasn't saying that just to kind of preach uh, old hashtag hockey men adages where he just says words that mean nothing, which um, some Red Wings fans might feel was the case in the past. Um, genuinely, this roster is pretty locked up in terms of what they could do. Um, Eisenman didn't see the value in going to spend assets on bringing in guys who he couldn't utilize in their primes or pay money that would be essentially worth um, the moves he made were to kind of shore up the bigger holes. Like Patrick Nemeth is a fine defenseman. Um, he's probably one of the best defensemen on the Red Wings, which should speak to the poor condition the Red Wings decor was in. The Val- Valtteri Filippula signing, it's neither here nor there. Like it's not our favorite, but at the same time, like nobody that they brought in would move the needle and they didn't exactly need anyone to move the needle. They needed someone to eat minutes in that second, third line center spot. Um, so yeah, you're not going to be overly enthused by the moves that were made, but it's also understanding that just because we've talked about Eisenman twice a week uh, since he came in in April, barely any time has passed. It's been a few months. So a lo- it's going to be a lot of stasis probably for the next year or so before things even start to turn the corner. Well, it's kind of interesting because Detroit almost feels like they're in a pseudo similar situation to Buffalo, right? Where they're rebuilding. I mean, obviously they haven't been rebuilding nearly as long as the Sabres have, but it's, it's kind of that limbo period of, okay, when is it time to to really start winning here? Is, Is it time to hit the gas now? And I feel despite what's kind of being perceived as a rebuild, you know, an, in, in progress, so to speak, in Detroit, the Red Wings have some young, talented core pieces, right? They've got Dylan Larkin, they've got Anthony Mantha, Philip Pronick, Michael Rasmussen, Dennis Chalowski, and of course, you know, Evgeny Svechnikov, easy for me to say. It appears from the outside that they're potentially going to let the kids play this year. I mean, it looks like a lot of those younger guys have a, a legitimate shot, you know, at the roster. So which of the youngsters that you expect to make it has you most excited and which player on the team do you feel is prime for kind of a breakout year? So there's, I'll start by saying there's not as many roster spots available as one would think, given the absolute glut of talent the Red Wings have coming up through the pipeline. Mm -hmm. There's about two spots open, maybe three if someone really impresses. So you're looking at those two spots. It's going to be a competition between Zadina, Valeno, Rasmussen, Hiroshi, and Svechnikov. Two of those guys are going to, are going to take the spot. Who obviously the, the obvious answer who we're most excited for this year would be Philip Zadina. You pick a guy sixth overall when everybody's projected him to go top three. He showed all the flashes. Um, Taro Hiroshi might be the best kept secret in the NHL uh, going into the season from a young player standpoint because he was signed late out of Michigan State led the NCAA in scoring last year played 10 games with the Red Wings to finish out the season and put up seven points he's not a flashy player so he's never going to catch anybody's eye but he's just a really really smart player finds himself in the right 
spot at the right times without any flashy skill. Uh, not the same player where none of his skills really pop at you, but he just tends to make the right place. Um, Hiroshi's more of a passer, whereas Reinhardt's more of a finisher, I assume. But So those are the two guys that I think have the inside edge right now. So that's kind of where everybody's focus has been. Uh, although Joe Valeno just tore apart the Traverse City tournament, so Red Wings mm-hmm. may have kind of been pulling for him. Uh, as for the guy who's primed for a breakout, um, you mentioned him already, but it's it's got to be Philip Hronik. And as a rookie on a bad team, put up 23 points while putting up good defensive metrics. Mm-hmm. He had the best points per game among any rookie defenseman last year, not named Rasmus Dahlin. <laughs> so that speaks to how good of a season he had, especially considering what he had to work with. The state of the Red Wings defense being so poor is going to actually work in his favor this year because there's a, a very reasonable chance he ends up playing on the top pairing. Yeah, I mean, Hironik is one of those guys who, you know, you, you kind of go through and you see all these impressive names, like you just said, you know, Zadina, Rasmus, and Valeno. You see all these guys, and, and they're all so young. And, and like you said, it's a glut of talent in that system. And he's almost one of those guys who he, he's so talented, but he, he almost sounds like a secondary piece. And that's so crazy. And it kind of speaks toward how well, you know, built up and prepared the Detroit Red Wings look to be moving forward here. You, like you just said, you've got a lot of exciting prospects on the farm. Uh, on the defensive side, I'm really intrigued by, you know, Sider and McIsaac. Did anyone stand out? You, I know you mentioned Valeno, but did anyone stand out to you in particular, Traverse City, and, you know, who, who could have earned themselves a job on the opening night lineup where they otherwise probably wouldn't have had one? Uh, given the Red Wings roster situation right now, I don't expect too many surprises. Like I said, I think Zadina and Hiroshi had the inside edge to begin with, mm-hmm. and they both had strong prospects tournaments, so I, they did nothing to hurt their chances. Um, obviously, we knew what we were going to get out of Joe Valeno after his huge season last year, and then he puts up seven goals in four games at the prospect tournament. Mm-hmm. As someone who's not known as a shooter, that was a pleasant surprise. But the biggest pleasant surprise, it, it – Sounds like the obvious answer, given that we just picked him sixth overall. He's not billed as an offensive defenseman, and that was the main criticism for taking him sixth overall, but he is a talented player. He has way more puck skills than he gets credit for. He moves the puck very well and had a lot of offensive awareness that even us who were paying attention religiously to the prospects leading up to the draft last year never saw when he was playing for Germany or Mannheim. So it, it put our mind at ease at pitting, picking him six overall. It, still up in there, preferred a couple players that got picked instead. But after watching him at the prospects tournament in the development camp, I don't think Sider at six was as big of a reach as it was uh, made out to be. Interesting. Yeah, I remember on, on draft night, he, there was a, a lot of, uh, I'm not going to say uh, outrage, but there, there were some question marks thrown up you know, around that pick, especially with, you know, Dylan Cousins, uh, Cole Caulfield, uh, Trevor Zegers still on the board. That was a surprising pick to a lot of people. So it's interesting to hear that, you know, people have kind of come around, uh, you know, sort of a little bit based on that Trevor City performance. Looking forward here to the 2019-20 campaign, right? Detroit finished right around where the Sabres did last year, you know, 74 points, Buffalo at 76. I, I know Buffalo's season was probably a little more disappointing. I think Detroit's was maybe a little more expected internally. And that result wasn't really surprising from an outsider's perspective, right? And it, it was kind of the same deal with Buffalo where, 
everyone on the outside of Buffalo was like, yeah, they're a sub 80 point team. We thought they were nuts, but turned out to be right. In your opinion, was last season a disappointment? And do you feel that this young roster is going to help the Detroit Red Wings make a significant leap this season? Uh, so last season was, I mean, disappointing because you never want to watch a, a hockey team kind of go through that kind of season, but it was a necessary kind of disappointment. Mm-hmm. So that's a long-winded way of saying it's to be expected. We're going to run into a lot of problems. Um, Dylan Larkin is far and away the best player on the team right now, and, and he's well-loved. And I, I say this with the most uh, admiration and respect for him as a player, but he ideally they don't want Dylan Larkin to be the best player on the team. They like they sorely lack any kind of top, top-end talent. They don't have any kind of superstar. They don't have – although, you know, last year I was saying Dylan Larkin's not a number one center, and I think he's – uh, his production has shown otherwise, but it was better or a centerman that could slot in above him even, uh, or, you know, Erasmus Deline in case you guys want to loan him over to Detroit. <laughs> um, so what they're looking for this season is for those young players uh, to keep progressing. Larkin to have another huge season. Uh, Mantha is, is, has a 40 goal scoring players uh, skill set, and it's just about putting it together. Tyler Bertuzzi took a huge step forward. So they still want to see that from him. Like Brad mentioned, Philip Bronick um, really should, have the opportunity to step up. But as a whole, the team is very much still in the same spot. Um, you have, they have a glut of bottom six players playing in middle six roles or even taught like from time to time, if you peek into a Detroit Red Wings game, you might catch a Luke Glendening or a Justin Abdelkader on the top line. And that's not a good thing. Um, they won't be far above last season's point total i wouldn't be surprised if they're around the same place hmm. but that doesn't mean they still can't see prior uh, having mantha emerge as a 40 goal scorer and i know we're going to talk about mantha again soon um seeing those kind of or you know having zadina come in and having a, a year where he deserves to be in the nhl full-time uh that's what red wings fans are going to be looking for in terms of success rather than actual points in the standings yeah and the sabers you know conversely have been going through that whole process of, well, let's just see progress. Like all, all we need this season is see progress. We're not looking for a playoff berth, but man, we're going on like six years straight of that. And, and the patience has kind of run out in Western New York in that regard. And I, I don't, I don't think the Sabres are in that different uh, if, from a realistic standpoint, that different of a situation as Detroit this year, where they might end up with the same point total, but, it's about seeing progress deeper down, right? It's about seeing player growth. And it, it hurts because you're, you're just wasting a year of Jack Eichel, Sam Reinhardt, Jeff Skinner's prime, but that might be the reality we're up against. So, so it's interesting to, to hear that. And um, in my preseason projection here, I've got Buffalo and Detroit finishing right next to each other in that Atlantic division. So interesting <laughs> to see what happens there. Let, 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 let's put a number on it, right? So you just said uh, you're kind of expecting them to finish with, with about the same points. I mean, is that okay? Is 74 points really okay? I mean, no no progress in the standings at all, especially during a rebuild. You, you'd like to see some kind of market growth in that regard. Well, it's kind of touching on what Ryan was saying earlier. It's We need to see the progression match the regression because the unfortunate situation with the way Detroit's structured is they've got a lot of money and a lot of bad contracts in bottom six and bottom pairing uh, players. Mm-hmm. Your Jonathan Erickson's, your Trevor Daly's, Darren Helm, Justin Ablocator, Franz Nielsen. These guys are only getting older and worse. So they were all almost man for man terrible last year. Now, 
you got to assume the regression of those players is going to lose them a couple points in the standings. So to get them, just to get Detroit back to where they were last year would mean that the Athanasius, Larkin, Mantha, Bertuzzi's, Heronics of the world picked up the slack. They'd have to progress. Maybe it was a Hiroshi or a Zidina or a Svechnikov. I think the Red Wings could finish with the exact same point total and Red Wings fans would by and large be content Hmm. with that just because for that to happen, it would mean the young core would have to take a step. Interesting. I, I, you know, I, I know I keep bringing it up, but I keep hearing all these parallels to Buffalo, right? Where bad contracts and, and deals were just kind of waiting to expire in the depth of the roster, right? The bottom six and bottom of the defense, Kyle Oposo, Marco Scandella. I know Matt Hunwick went to long-term injured reserve, right? But Zach Bogosian, it's just it's such a similar situation. I mean, Vlad Sabotka, it's just you have these guys who are, are creating this like wall of veterans that <laughs> these young guys just can't penetrate through for cap reasons and, and you know, contractual reasons. It's uh, it's it's a scary, similar situation. I, like I said before, though, the big difference being that Detroit should be in this part of the rebuild. Buffalo should have surpassed this step about three to four years ago. So that's very interesting. <laughs> we are going to take a quick break here, and we will be back with you after about 30 seconds for the remainder of Episode 3 of the Beyond the Blade Around the Atlantic Division miniseries covering the Detroit Red Wings this week. Stay tuned. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to episode three of the Around the Atlantic miniseries here at Beyond the Blade. I am here with Ryan Handa and Brad Crisco of the Winged Wheel podcast. Guys, let's talk a little bit about the goalies. Obviously, both Jimmy Howard and Jonathan Bernier struggled last season. From a GSAA standpoint, actually, Howard was actually only a tick below average, where Bernier, on the other hand, was, was pretty terrible. What's interesting is they both had analytically very difficult workloads, and I'm guessing part of that is obviously attributed to a not-so-great defense in front of them, or maybe not so great of a defensive system, I should say. Do you think that these young defensemen coming through the system can have a big enough impact where Detroit can really get away with not addressing that position at all in the offseason? Uh, so I'm glad you mentioned the, uh, the difficulty of their workload because the amount of high danger scoring chances that the Red Wings goalies face is, um, actually astronomical. I remember mm-hmm. looking at the numbers once and, uh, it was so bad. I didn't want to ever look at them again. Um, <laughs> it's one of those things where the eye test tells you the full story. Um, the short answer here is no, probably not, but that's less of a knock on the Red Wings young defenseman. Uh, this, this league is uh, very obviously offense and forward driven and uh, defensemen don't 
fully mature until they get, you know, you don't really know what you have in them until they get like what, 200, 300 NHL reps. So um, it's difficult for them to formulate that part of their game. And that usually comes after a lot more experience where they can kind of take advantage of whatever inherent hockey IQ they have and apply that to the ice. Meanwhile, uh, a defenseman with a really good offensive uh, game with Dennis Cholosky last year, he uh, started producing legitimately the first game of the season and he uh, held a roster spot for about half the year, but his defensive game was slipping so much and it was just not improving at the rate that they wanted, which is why he was sent uh, down to Grand Rapids. So they'll definitely improve and they'll get better. And, um, with the amount of high danger scoring chances that the Red Wings have faced in the past, there's no way it could possibly get that much worse. So yeah, it'll improve a little bit, but not enough to justify going out or, or changing anything. Like you said, Jimmy Howard is only a tick below average. And this guy has just absolutely died for this team. He has mm-hmm. just suffered through injury and countless game after game of just being pummeled by pucks. Um, they should build a statue for him and he'll go down as one of the most <laughs> underappreciated Red Wings of all time. So do you think that maybe not addressing that position is, is almost a strategic move by Eiserman, him realizing that we're not going to be competitive this year. I'm going to put us in a position to have a year of growth, like you guys mentioned, while maybe not climbing the standings, but putting us in a position to keep growing. So I'm not going to you know, necessarily pursue big money into this position you know, I mean, before we're ready, kind of like you were just mentioning. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that's exactly the case. And it's not exactly like a very difficult thing to deduce. It just it's common sense at this point. So we're going to address the elephant in the Twitter sphere Ugh. from last month. Ristolainen for mm. Anthony Mantha. Straight yeah. up. <laughs> who says no besides everybody who lives in the greater Detroit area? Uh, everybody who also lives in Southern Ontario, parts of Ohio, <laughs> and I'm sure a few snowbirds in Florida also say no. Yeah, when, when that came up, Sabres fans were, were almost beside themselves, like, would, would they really do that? And then, you know, it became a thing where everyone's like, I love Mantha. I've loved Mantha since the beginning. It's like, yeah, everybody loves Mantha, which is why our coursey, terrible, analytically garbage, overpaid defenseman Rasmus Ristolainen is not going to get him back in a trade. But I do want to ask you guys this. In your opinion, what would it take for a team, not necessarily the Sabres, but just a team, if Mantha is actually getting shopped, what would it take in your opinion to be happy with that trade if you're sending him out? Well, the big thing with Mantha right now is the unknown because he's always had the tools. He skates really well for a big man, unbelievable shot, strong as an ox. He, he really doesn't have any deficiencies in his game other than he tends to be a little streaky. Mm-hmm. Um, all the skill in the world to be a 35-40 goal scorer, but he never put it together until, let's say, February to March of last year where he finished the season on an absolute tear. Uh, it was close to two points per game. Went to the World Championships, played for Canada, absolutely lit that tournament on fire. So if you're trading Mantha at this point, you're trading uh, on that value of Anthony Mantha, even though he's had multiple uh, 25 goal seasons or 20 goal seasons in a row, mm-hmm. you're trading him on the assumption that he's going to put in 30 to 40 this year. So uh, normally the easy answer is you'd want like a team. I don't, a first round pick doesn't get it done. It would have to be a legitimate top shelf prospect who four to five years younger. I'm, I can't think of a, 
a player off the top of my head that fits that bill. But if we're talking Sabres um, specific, it would be have to be like two years ago or a year ago when all the Casey Middlestat hype was really high. <laughs> it would have to be something like that to even get the Red Wings to consider trading for Amantha or you're getting uh, an established pairing defenseman in return. And given the inequity when trading uh, a forward for a defenseman, that one's almost certainly not going to happen. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat just from an outsider's perspective. Just looking at Mantha's value, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? That's not the type of guy you sell off, right, to just to get something in return. That's a guy who's going to have demand, right? And it's a guy who you should build, help build your team around. So those rumors were probably unsubstantiated and really just kind of crazy for me just because they made little to no sense from a Detroit perspective. So, gentlemen, I think that wraps us up for this week. Really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to talk about our rivals to the West, former Western Conference team. It's, it's, it's interesting, right, where all of these teams, except for Florida, Detroit, and Tampa, I, I feel this like deep kind of distaste for. And, and, you know, you guys, it, it's, it's almost, a, it's still kind of something I'm getting used to where, you know, yeah, think of Detroit as a rival where when they picked Zadina in that draft after John Chaka famously passed on him for some reason. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay, Detroit, he'll do well there. I'm like, wait a minute. I don't want him to do well there at all. <laughs> um, well, I, the Lions and the Sabres have their little, or the, sorry, the Lions and the Bills have a bromance going on. So it's natural that it carries over to hockey. Sure, sure. Yeah, they, they play a preseason game every year just because of proximity and because Ralph Wilson was from there. <laughs> All right, fellas. Well, again, I appreciate you coming on. This has been Brad Crisco and Ryan Hanna from the Winged Wheel podcast talking about the Detroit Red Wings. Make sure you tune in for our next episode. I will give you a hint as to who we'll be covering. You might want to brush up on your French, maybe just a little. See you later.